Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a founding partner of Moore and Lee LLP, practices in all areas of litigation, focusing in construction, healthcare, general and professional liability, gaming, corporate and commercial law. He started martial arts in 1969 with Grandmaster Junery, becoming an instructor in the Junery system. He taught martial arts to pay his way through college at Virginia Tech. Started competing in the NASCA circuit in 1983 and within three years became world champ. He's taught seminars all over the country, appeared on numerous magazine covers, and promoted the World Series of Martial Arts. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Charlie Lee. How are you doing today, sir? Great. Thank you for having me. What I want to do is I want to jump into it, go all the way back to the beginning. I want to know where that first spark, that first interest that started your journey in martial arts came from. Uh, you're taking me back uh, a lot of years. <laughs> uh, you can show my age here. Uh, so uh, my mother, um, well, let me just go back even further. So, you know, I, I was born in you know, Seoul, South Korea, and we immigrated to the United States in 1967. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we got when we got here, my mother uh, was best friends with Grandmaster Junri's late wife. Oh wow! And Grandmaster Junri had come from South Korea to uh, San Marcos, Texas, where he attended college. Um, karate club in 1956 or, or thereabouts. So, so he's been, you know, he was in the States for, and then he, he migrated uh, into the Washington DC area, which is where my family ended up. Okay. And, um, and as my mother and grandmaster Junior's late wife, her name is Hansu, Hansu Ri, uh, became best friends. She, you know, they thought that Taekwondo was something good uh, for me to get into. So uh, I started uh, taking Taekwondo and the, Junery Institute studio uh, in Washington, D.C. on 20th and L Street. Uh, and I started in 1969. So it wasn't really a spark. It was probably, mm-hmm. you know, it was probably a hyperactive kid that, um, that my mother thought, uh, you know, might calm me down if I got into Taekwondo. Okay, nice. And what are some things you remember about Master Ree as an instructor? What, what are some things that stood out when you were that young back then? I don't think there is enough time for me to go <laughs> through that. But, um, you know, Grandmaster Junri was a second father to me. He, you know, passed uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You may have seen the video celebration of his life on on um, on the Internet. Yes. Um, it's just remarkable of all the dignitaries that were there. And I, you know, was privileged to uh, eulogize him during that celebration. But, you know, what I you know remember was... Uh, that, you know, I, I was very, very young. Uh, my best buddy, a guy named Philip Chung, who was a nephew of Junri, uh, who was, you know, my same age, and, you know, we were trained together. And, and um, you know, Junri's star student back then was Grandmaster Jeff Smith. Yes. And, you know, we would learn uh, various forms and sparring and self-defense techniques. And, and Philip and I became famous uh, for doing uh, demonstrations 
uh, where Philip was attacking me with a rubber knife and I was defending myself. And we would do demonstrations all across the Washington, D.C. area, and we would get a dollar for every demonstration that we did. I mean, sometimes we did five demonstrations in one day on a Saturday and we were we were very wealthy uh, six year old (laughs) (laughs) making a dollar per demonstration. So that that's what I remember most. But that's, you know, where um, I essentially grew up. And, you know, I was looking at uh, some of the other guests that you had hosted, you know, Mm -hmm. many of whom were students of of Grandmaster Jun Reese. So, you know, they they were my instructors who I looked up to when I was uh, very, very young and whom I still look up to, you know, even today. So fast forward a few years then when you got to the age where, you know, obviously you, when you started, it was your mom's decision. When you got to the age where you could decide for yourself, why did you want to keep going? What was it about Um, martial arts specifically that made you want to stick with it? Well, I knew from a very early age that I was uh, very competitive. Okay. And that I liked to compete and I loved winning. And in taking Taekwondo, Grandmaster Junior used to put on the Junior Nationals, mm-hmm. you know, three or four times a year. And we'd have inter- intramural tournaments. And I would I was able to compete in those and, you know, win first place and, you know, win all these uh, trophies. It, it made me feel good to win. I guess it makes anyone feel good to win. True. Uh, but but I, I felt especially good and it made me train much harder. And I got my black belt. I'm going to get my black belt. I want to say 1978 when I was 14. Okay. And um, I remember taking my black belt exam. And at that time, there were two levels of brown belt. You know, you had a brown belt, but then you had an advanced brown belt before you can get to your black belt. And I was able to jump over my advanced brown belt and just go from brown belt to black belt, which nice. is pretty cool. Yeah. And so, you know, I started competing and, you know, I, I had a gift of doing very well uh, in Taekwondo. You know, I just kept with it. And um, I was very, very good in forms. I was very good in fighting. I fought professionally when I was 16 years old. I had my first fight. It was on ESPN, uh, which was, which was pretty neat. Um, and I have videos of that. Um, so, you know, I had a few professional fights until I graduated college or I'm sorry, high school, 1982. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, then I went to college and, um, you know, I kept my martial arts training there and I opened up the martial arts club, a junior club mm-hmm. at Virginia tech where I attended. And, you know, at one point I had over 300 students wow. that I was teaching and I was making money as a freshman and sophomore, 18, 19 year old in college. And that's how I paid my way through college was, uh, having my, uh, karate club. So, um, in between studying and finals, I would travel to, uh, these national karate tournaments and almost every weekend compete there, do seminars, you know, at various tournaments and at various schools around the country and around the world. I used to, Jeff Smith, uh, coached a U.S. fighting team, uh, mm-hmm. that I was on. And when we went to Europe, they really didn't have an understanding of what uh, kata or forms were. And uh, John Chung, who was another instructor of mine, and I were very, very good at it. So we would do demonstrations there and, you know, we're getting standing ovations. And so, you know, it's, it's, it, it was a very, very interesting life that I had at a very young age, you know, being able to compete on the national and international scene wow. and uh, being able to travel and, and um, teach seminars to, martial artists around the world. I want to talk a little bit about, about the teaching. You, know, you mentioned so what belt level did you first get into teaching and kind of what drew you to that? You know, obviously, you know, you said you liked the competitive part of it. What was it about the teaching part that made that something you wanted to keep doing? You know, if I could do one thing in life as a profession, it would be teaching martial arts. And it's unfortunate that 
martial arts instructors don't make the amount of money that other professionals make. True. Uh, because I think martial arts instructors are so so valuable to our society because they're not really teaching martial arts, but they're teaching character, teaching them discipline, teaching them right from wrong, teaching them to respect each other. And I always speak about this when I'm out doing seminars or I'm, I'm guest speaking at an event that if this country was run by martial artists and everyone was a martial arts student, you wouldn't see the nonsense that we've seen over you know, the past decades uh, in this country because what we lack is discipline. Uh, what we once had many, many years ago uh, when I was growing up uh, in schools where you respected your parents, you respected your school teachers, you respected police officers, and you know, we, we've really lost our way. Um, but you know, martial arts instructors are still maintaining that level of discipline and character in their teachings of, of young young students. And, uh, and that was really a passion of mine to be able to uh, teach children and adults as well uh, the discipline that I learned. And you know, it's something that you should always pass down because it's a very, very good thing for, as I mentioned, character building and, and just you know, for our society in general. And, and many of these martial arts students grow up to be you know, leaders in their chosen profession. So I do miss teaching uh, martial arts. It's just that my, my job that I've been at for almost 35 years as a lawyer keeps me pretty busy and I'm not able to dedicate the time that I would want to in martial arts. So right. that's, a, that's a regret of mine. Okay. Um, but martial arts is what opened the door for me to, uh, you know, pursue a profession in law. And I carry a lot of the characteristics and values that I learned in martial arts to my practice uh, in the law. And I try to master uh, that profession as I, you know, master the martial arts profession. Nice. And that was actually one of my upcoming questions, but talk a little bit about that. Some of the stuff you learned in martial arts that you think helped you in your you know, profession as a lawyer. So, you know, Grandmaster uh, June Ree, um always used to talk about what it takes to become a champion uh, in the martial arts. And he said that if you apply the same principles in life in general or in your job or, you know, in athletics and other athletics that you can become a champion in that as well. For example, you know, he says in order to be a champion in martial arts, you need power, you know, powerful martial artists do well to, you know, be able to, you know, compete in, in sparring and, you know, and, and other forms of martial arts, you know, forms and, and, and weapons practice. In my law practice, um, I equate power to knowledge. Uh, if I know more than the other side and, you know, more prepared, I'm going to be more effective uh, as a lawyer representing my clients. Likewise, as a martial artist, to become a champion, you need speed. And he equates that in life to someone who should never procrastinate. That if you get things done now, you won't let things build up to where you're, you know, rushing through things to get things done. So, so I rarely, you know, procrastinate and I try to get things done uh, with speed. One of the most important virtues of a martial arts champion is to have a good posture. Whenever someone is, you know, doing forms, kicking or even striking, you want to make sure that you have excellent posture and, and, and excellent technique. And likewise, in the law, I try to equate posture and having beautiful technique and doing things the right way and not cutting corners and making sure that I, I maintain uh, a good reputation and that I'm not doing things 
you know, without integrity and everything is, is with integrity and, and following by the rules. So it's, it's those types of virtues of a martial arts champion that you can equate to, you know, not just in the practice of law, but in any profession or just life in general that helps shape and mold your life. Okay. I love that answer. That's so cool. One more thing on the teaching note, think back to the very first time you, you taught, whether it was assisting a class on your own to the last time you taught over those years, what do you think changed most about your teaching style? That's a really good question. And the reason it's a really good question is because no one has ever asked me that question. And all of these years that I've, I've really? been speaking and doing and doing interviews okay. um, and, I, and I have a good answer for it. Okay. You know, my first memory of teaching was when I was 14, when I just got my black belt and I'm 14 years old. I'm a, you know, buck tooth teenager with long hair, you know, that only knew right from wrong from what he learned in, in martial arts class uh, and, and from my parents. But, you know, I, I didn't know the ways of the world. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, because I was, you know, I was so young. You know, one might call me young, dumb, and stupid, you know, <laughs> at that time. But I had a black belt, and I realized that when I was teaching students who were not black belts, whether they were adults or not, they uh, would uh, bow in respect to me before and after each class. They would respond to me with a yes sir or a no sir, and I, I remember processing that having a black belt, you know, with that comes uh, immediate respect because the people who you are teaching uh, recognize that you have been through the rigors of achieving the rank of black belt. And I carry that all the way through all the years of teaching martial arts insofar as that respect must go both ways, that it must be mutual. So I do know as I had my own martial arts school and, and taught at other schools uh, doing seminars that I would respect the students that I was teaching just as much as they would respect me. And when you have this mutual level of respect, um, the information and knowledge that is exchanged between teacher and student is just immeasurable. They're a sponge of, you know, for information. Mm -hmm. Conversely, you know, and regrettably, you know, I see many black belts and and instructors who take advantage of their position, very arrogant, cocky, you know, demands respect rather than earning respect. And, and that's really a shame. And oftentimes the students that disrespectful martial arts instructor is teaching loses interest in martial arts. And and that is the the biggest shame of all, because martial arts is such a wonderful discipline because it's mind, body, and spirit. And for someone to be turned off of one of the joys of life that we have all around the world by a disrespectful martial arts instructor is just, you know, something that I hate to see. And, you know, unfortunately I've, I've seen it all too often. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so thinking back to your, your tournament competing days, I'm just curious, was it more nervous for you being on that like main stage on the Saturday night main event, or was it more nervous for you watching your own students compete? Uh, the latter. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've had several students that, you know, attained uh, the status that I attained and beyond mm -hmm. and watching them compete and wanting them to win is, you know, was much more nerve wracking than me competing myself because I knew what I could do. I was in total control of myself. I knew that I could kick, jump and do it better than, you know, most of, 
of the other competitors. But, you know, when I have my student that I taught and, and made them train, you know, I'm, I'm watching every single move, making sure they don't slip and I, and, and I don't have control. I guess someone might call me a control freak, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. for being that way. But yeah, but I, I, it was much more nerve wracking, Okay. you know, watching someone like Carmichael Simon, oh, yes. uh, you know, who's doing these unbelievable, you know, twists and turns and kicking and acrobatics and martial arts, you know, and he, he was the pioneer of doing that and, and watching him perform was much more nerve wracking than me going up there, you know, doing a basic side kick, round kick and punch. <laughs> nice. so, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a, that, that, that's an easy one to answer. Now, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm almost positive I've seen you compete a few times because I was never a competitor myself. I was never into competition, but I used to go and watch the Diamond Nationals every year because I had friends competing. Yeah. And I, I was probably there from 90 through 96. And then I think I was there yeah. again, like 98 through like 2000. Yeah. So, so my, my competing year stopped in 89. Oh, okay. So you probably saw a few of my students because I, because I did have like these camps for juniors where Carmichael attended, yep. uh, Mike chat, uh, John Valera and all the juniors used to come to my summer camp Nice. and, and, and we did a demonstration, you know, performing my, my signature form, the twilight zone. And we did that at the diamond nationals, but, uh, but I competed from 1980 to 19, 89. In fact, my last tournament was at the Diamond Nationals. Oh, okay. Uh, in, in 1989, so I retired at the at the old age of 25 years old. I just uh, I just rem I remember hearing uh, Larry Carnahan say your name. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they used to announce all the Diamond uh, Diamond Ring winners oh, okay. on stage at the finals, and I had won three during the 80s. So, uh, and I was there because you know after I retired, I was they i guess they advertised me as the youngest commissioner of any sport and i was the commissioner of nasca okay um, at that time because i had just passed the bar exam and i was practicing law so i i did that you know for many years and i was a promoter of my own event mm -hmm. the world series of martial arts until 2007 okay so yeah so that's probably where you heard my name because i was pretty active until then so how many of your own events did you do then that you promoted you know, I, I promoted the Charlie Lee Nationals for all that time, mm -hmm. but I was, I was, you know, much to many people's surprise, I'm more shy than I am <laughs> outgoing. And I did not, you know, having my name in an event, you know, the Charlie Lee Nationals, I was uncomfortable with. Okay. But I had made such a name for myself in the martial arts circuit that having my name on a tournament drew more competitors. So, you know, as I had, you know, these annual tournaments, the, the Charlie Lee Nationals, you know, in the early you know, to late um, 90s, I switched over to uh, the World Series of Martial Arts just to kind of give it more of a, an event name, okay. you know, rather than an individual name. Uh, but but I ran that event, you know, until 2007 and, you know, all hell just kind of broke loose around that time because you know i had kids and i had a i had a very active law practice and i just did not have time to dedicate and and you know i had two kids and i had a family and i had a mortgage and and i was making more money practicing law so um, i had to give up one or the other and and to this day i regret giving up you know my martial arts practice because you know despite the fact that i'm making uh, more money practicing law i I would, I think my life would be much happier making less money and practicing martial arts. That's, that's too bad. Yeah. Like you said, it's just, you know, the, the handful that are making good money, there's, there's not that many that are making there's really, really good many. And, and, and uh, some of the ones I see that are making really good money, they treat it like a business and it's right. 
not a martial art and I, I wouldn't want to train there. So <laughs> in my opinion, that's right. <laughs> so, so do you I think agree with you. something you kind of said earlier about how, you know, how important it is for people to learn martial arts? Do you think in, in our lifetime we'll ever see martial arts in the public school system nationally? I know like some states have it and some schools have it. Do you think we'll ever see it on a national level? Cause I know Mr. Ree had a lot of success when he taught to Congress and stuff. So you, yeah. you'd think that would, would have had a, a little further along, but. You know, I, I hate to be a pessimist. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. You know, I'm, I'm going to turn 59 next month. I don't think that I will see it in my lifetime. And I don't think, you know, at least at this point, there is the visionary like Grandmaster Jun Ree to try to to promote that. I mean, we, you know, in the 2000s, we, we've really, really become a divisive country, you know, with, with politics, you know, race, socioeconomics you know, gender equality. I mean, there's, there's just so many things that are, you know, pulling, you know, this country apart, which, which is, you know, very, very unfortunate. Right. And, you know, martial arts, you know, you go, you walk in any martial arts school and, you know, generally you'll see a lot of discipline in the school and that's what we lack. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, before Grandmaster Reed passed, I had conversations with him that, you know, we've really lost uh, our discipline and, you know, it started, and, and, and I don't advocate, you know, obviously, you know, physical, you know, spanking of kids and stuff, which was right. very common, you know, back when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you know, when a parent spanks a child and that child can call the police and, you know, his mom or dad is arrested, right. uh, that's when I think we lost our way, yeah. uh, you know, in our society. And the virtues of discipline and respect only exist in the martial arts schools. I mean, I, I, I say this as well, you know, when I speak is that, you know, racism though it's a top three topic in our country, it, it just doesn't exist in a vast majority of uh, our martial arts schools and our industry. I mean, you go to tournaments, I mean, you know, best friends. I mean, you just look on Facebook, mm-hmm. best friends, you know, African-American, Mexican, white, Asian. I mean, it, it's amazing the, the rainbow of colors that martial arts you know, brings out in people. They don't, they don't see color. They, what they see is uh, the color of one's belt and, you know, the respect that comes with it. And um, so, I I mean, I I wish I could do it if I had the time uh, to to promote it, but, but I wish that, you know, we, we find another Bruce Lee or Grandmaster Junery, Chuck Norris that's in their thirties and forties that have, you know, a long life to live that can really promote, you know, something like that. I mean, how great would it be they have martial arts in public school, but you know, some politician will find it to be discriminatory in some way. So yeah, um, unfortunately I don't think it's going to exist at least in the near future. I think you're right, but dare to dream. That's what I say. <laughs> so who knows? Dare to dream. Correct. So what advice would you give someone who's thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time? They know nothing about it. And they're just wondering what, what, what tips would you give them on maybe what to look for in a school and maybe some things to avoid? Well, one, just do it. Okay. I mean, the old, the, the Nike, slogan, just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you make that decision first. It's not a, you know, what I would call a 24 seven commitment. Once you learn the disciplines and virtues of martial arts, it becomes a 24 seven way of life. But the commitment is maybe twice a week Mm -hmm. going to classes. And then as you get better at it and more interested and want to see yourself you know, get to higher ranks, then you'll, you'll start attending more. And eventually if you get absorbed in it, you'll, you'll train, you know, nearly every day. So it's, uh, I know martial arts is something that intrigues 
everyone. Yes. You know, even those who don't know anything about it, it's just it, it's intriguing because they've heard enough about it to to show some some sign of interest. You know, go with a friend. If you don't have any money, sign up at the local YMCA. You know, just get started in it. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of schools, you know, have scholarships, you know, for, for those families who, who can't afford to take karate. One of my things that, that I want to do, you know, later, uh, you know, as I start to wind down in my legal practice is, is, is establish a foundation for scholarships. So, you know, people who are not as fortunate can take martial arts lessons at, nice. you know, schools that, that I would deem, you know, to be, uh, to be worthy of, of teaching this great discipline that um, has been my way of life. But, you know, when you go into a school, you have to look out for that instructor that will provide the student the same level of respect that the instructor expects of the student and not the instructor that I was talking about who demands respect and who, who carries a lot of arrogance and, you know, cockiness. Um, you know, in their teachings. Um, it doesn't matter what form of martial arts that you take. It's the instructor that matters. And not just the head instructor, but the assistant instructors who are often uh, younger students, you know, working mm-hmm. part-time jobs there uh, because they're a reflection of their master instructor. So take an introductory class, you know, maybe ask if you can sign up for uh, a month of classes and, and make sure that this instructor is right for you because, uh, a martial arts instructor is, you know, just as important as an academic professor. If you like them, you're going to learn more. Remember, remember what I talked about, this mutual respect and how much the student absorbs information like a sponge when you respect your instructor. Uh, but, you know, those who, you know, who attend high school or have gone to college who have, who's taking a class from a horrible teacher or a teacher doesn't care or a horrible professor at college, you don't absorb, you just yep. don't care. But when you respect them, you just want to learn from them. So that's why it's very, very important that when you shop for a martial arts school, that you make sure that uh, the instructor is is top quality. I like that. I know back in the you know, my younger years, one time when I was struggling financially for a little while, and I told my instructor, said, I'm going to have to stop coming for a few months while I get this figured out. And he looked at me, he said, I'm teaching class whether you're here or not, so you better be here. <laughs> Yeah. He basically said, I don't care if you're paying, you need to be in class. I'm like, okay. And I, I, yeah. I could train for like seven months without paying and took out the garbage and, you know, swept and stuff afterwards, even though he didn't ask me to, I just did it. That's why the financial thing, there's always a way to figure that out. I mean, I, I'm so fortunate the way I grew up martial arts. I mean, I literally learned from the martial arts gods, Yes, um, <laughs> you know, Grandmaster Junery, Jeff Smith, John Chung. Pat Worley, John Worley, Larry Carnahan, all these, you know, all these fantastic, you know, instructors, Michael Coles. I mean, these guys were, you know, Otis Hooper. These guys were the best, you know, in their profession, you know, in their fields. And, and you know, all the folks from Texas that, you know, came under the the, the Junery umbrella, you know, with Alan Steen and Pat Burleson being, you know, the first instructors at Black Belts at Grandmaster Junery and all the people who came, you know, under them, you know, the Rudy Smedleys, the Ray McCallums. And, and it's just, uh, you know, Ishmael Robles. I mean, just, it's just incredible. The family tree of, of Junery students. I, I always say that, you know, Grandmaster Ree never wanted to just have, their, you know, his students to be participants and he, he wanted them to be champions. I mean, like to be number one. And I always say the Junery family tree is a force of world champions. And, nice. um, and, every, and everywhere you go, you know, around this country mm-hmm. um, who have learned from the Junery system, I mean, they, they are top-notch black belts. 
So now in all your years of martial arts, I'm just kind of curious, what are your thoughts on MMA and, and UFC? Is that something you're a fan of? I am. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I live in three places right now. I live in Washington, D.C., where I grew up. Mm-hmm. I have a home in Florida, and I have, I have a home in Las Vegas. And, you know, growing up, I was, you know, a huge boxing fan. Okay. Muhammad Ali is my idol. You know, nice. I have Muhammad Ali memorabilia everywhere. And, and you know, and, and I've had a chance to, to meet him and, and I followed boxing, you know, for many, many years until it, you know, essentially, you know, died out and Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao were really the only, you know, marquee names. Right. And when mixed martial arts first came out, I mean, I, I, I watched the first series of UFC events, UFC one, <laughs> two, three, and, you know, watching Hoist Gracie and Dan Severn and, you know, Shamrock and, and, and all those, you know, you know, basically what I call martial artists in a different discipline fighting each other to determine which discipline was best. Right. And at that time, there were no rules. And, you know, Grandmaster Rhee always used to say, you know, martial arts without rules is street fighting. <laughs> And that's what it was. It was basically yep. street fighting. That is true. So I was not, you know, really interested, you know, other than, you know, the UFC being a, you know, sideshow at a circus, mm-hmm. you know, these, of these fighters headbutting, pulling hair. And uh, I think the only thing they couldn't do uh, was bite. It was no, um, no biting, no eye gouging, no fish hooking. Those are the, th- right. the original three so, rules. <laughs> So, you know, when uh, Dana White and the Fertitta brothers, you know, bought the UFC, I think in the late in the late 90s, uh, you know, the UFC was ready to go under. And I think they bought it. I know uh, just from watching uh, documentaries about the UFC and how they almost went bankrupt until they they filmed the ultimate fighter on uh, on Spike television which which brought them back from the dead and and now they're you know a four billion dollar plus company they hired you know several people from the boxing i think i think the one guy's name is mark ratner who was the commissioner of boxing and um and he he lobbied the nevada state athletic commission and all various state athletic commissions to get sanctioning for their fights and and i know that was probably a very very tough effort i would have loved to have been in on the ground floor and, and and helped these guys but you know but my life went a different way uh you know into practice law but once they got things sanctioned and started having rules you started to recognize that you know mixed martial arts was not a discipline you know like taekwondo or or shotokan mm-hmm. it was not a separate discipline of martial arts but it started to become a discipline where people started to learn jiu-jitsu and grappling and wrestling and, and striking and made a well-rounded mixed martial arts fighter and you know mixed martial arts is actually mma is actually a form of the martial arts now it's just a combination of all the you know the great disciplines that we have so when that started happening, I started to see the skills of various fighters as the evolution of these fighters turned from a single discipline to multidiscipline. And that's when I got really, really interested. And I started getting really, really interested in the, you know, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Randy, you know, yeah. Couture days. Nice. Uh, and I pretty much went to every USC event in Vegas. I still wow. go to those, those events. That's cool. And, um, you know, I really enjoy um, the skill set. Many people will find it brutal, mm-hmm. which it is, you know, but it's a sport, in my opinion, that is more exciting than any other sport. I don't like too much the, you know, when they're on top of each other and not much is happening, you know, the grappling. I understand, you know, why they do that and, and, yeah. and the effectiveness, you know, of that discipline. But the puzzle that these fighters have to figure out of the other fighter and, and what their skills are, to me, you know, I find fascinating. I think that if, um, you know, I know Joe Corley and, and his 
uh, group are basically resurrecting the PK with, I think you call it kick, punch, repeat, you know, just striking. Mm-hmm. That to me excites me more than anything, you yeah. know, watching people kickboxing. I mean, because it's all striking. I mean, and, and the discipline that goes with that. I love that. But, you know, the only place that I really get to see it uh, on a wide scale basis is, uh, is the UFC. So so I will say, you know, probably much a lot of people surprised that, that I am a huge fan of watching the, the UFC. But I'm as much of a fan of watching the, the critics of the UFC as well. <laughs> and, and just seeing how the, the sport has evolved and how the business is run and how the fighters are all evolving and the teams that are forming and the rivalries and the pay-per-views and, and the marketing of, of the um, uh, of the product that they're, they're they're selling to the public. So nice. so yeah. So I love that. So I do like it. <laughs> That's one one of the best answers I've had to that question. I love that a lot. So yeah. <laughs> good job. All right. So who are like two, three, maybe four names, and they don't have to be people you've actually met, but they, just two or three, or four names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. Uh, wow, <laughs> Mount Rushmore of martial arts. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the three obvious are Grandmaster Junior E. Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Yep, nice. And then if I had to select a fourth, it would be Grandmaster Jeff Smith. Nice. Uh, Jeff Smith has, you know, been my mentor, my coach, my friend. And, you know, he was as much of a hero to me as Muhammad Ali was when wow. I was growing up because nice. that's who I followed, watched, you know, watching him fight. So, yeah, so those, those would be the four that I would put on my round line. That's Mount a good. Rushmore, that's a really Rushmore. good Mount Rushmore. I like those. Okay, I'm actually trying to get Jeff on the show, so fingers crossed. He'd be fun. I think he'd be a lot of fun to talk uh, to. He, so. He'll just, just uh, if you need any help, I'll, I'll twist his arm. Oh, I appreciate, uh, appreciate it. Cool. He will definitely, will nice. definitely come on the show. So I know something that was really important to, to Grandmaster Ryu was, was philosophy. That was something he really instilled in his students. So what, what is maybe one philosophy that you learned through all your years of martial arts that really stands out, really it, comes to the top of the list? Yeah, it's simple. I mean, his message, you know, he wrote a book called Tritopia. Mm-hmm. And his what he preached for many, many years, which I really didn't understand until later in life, was that the ultimate goal in anyone's life is to be happy. And he said, you know, these three uh, virtues, truth, beauty and love uh, brings you happiness. And he says it's a very simple, a simple formula. He said that if, if you if you live a life of deceit, people will not uh, like you. And if you're deceitful, you will not be loved. And if you're not loved, you will not be happy. And conversely, his message was that if you live a life of integrity, of truth, that people will see the beauty in you. And if you're beautiful, you're loved. And if you're loved, you're happy. It was that simple of a message that he preached for, for decades and decades. And I think when he passed, and if you saw the celebration of life, so many people were talking about truth, beauty, and love, including myself, that I think it just resonated with, uh, with everyone upon his passing. So that's the message that, that I will carry with me for the rest of my life from him. And I actually have that book. I, when I, after I interviewed uh, Mr. Pineda, he sent me three of Junery's books. So I, Great. I haven't, yeah. haven't had a time to read him yet, but that's my plan over the next few weeks. But he sent me the Trutopia. He sent me the uh, a Tiger Roars. And then the Bruce Lee and I. So I have those three I'm going to be hopefully reading over the next two months. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, 
France is a great guy, wonderful, wonderful human being, great instructor, you know, so much humility in that individual, you know, lives, breathes the Junior way. And he, you know, really took care of uh, Grandmaster Junior the latter parts of, uh, of his life when he was sick. So I'm very, very grateful to, uh, to Francis yeah, for doing he's, that. He's, he's really, really, I can't wait. I'm hoping to meet him in person someday. I, my son actually lives in Arlington, so I'm planning to hopefully get out there in 2023 and, and stop into the school and meet him. So fingers crossed. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up. I know you got to go soon, but I got a few fun ones here. Okay. Uh, how about a favorite, sure. uh, favorite martial arts book? And you might've just given me the answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, favorite martial arts book. Wow. One would think that as a lawyer, I read a lot of books, but, uh, but I don't. Okay. But my favorite martial arts book, I can't think of one. Uh, you know, June Ree wrote a book called Bruce Lee and I, yep. which I loved reading about and, you know, the early years. So I would say it, it, it's that book, Bruce oh. Lee and I nice. by Grandmaster Ree. You're the first one to pick that book. So that's good. I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it. Now, this one you might not have an answer for. I mean, you kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s. So do you have a favorite martial arts video game? And don't play video games. Okay. Uh, so not even back uh, then you never got never got into like Tekken or Street Fighter no I never got into those uh those games okay the only game that you know I I remember playing video that was not very good at was like Miss Pac-Man and Dig Dug and and Galaga but uh but I never I never got into martial arts video games okay that's actually funny I actually played Dig Dug today my (laughs) the the place I work (laughs) at full-time has a video game in the break room and it's got it's got Miss Pac-Man. It's got Dig Dug. It's got like 15 games on there, and I played Dig Dug yeah. today, so that's awesome. cool. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you where, where to find those games, so <laughs> nice. I might get it myself. There you go. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Boy, you're really um, <laughs> testing me. I, I used to love watching, because I grew up as well, you know, in the martial arts circuit with Ernie Reyes Jr., mm. So anything Ernie Reyes Jr. did, I, I, I will. But, you know, I don't know if this, you know, this was not television, but, you know, movie-wise. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid. Yes. Um, you know, just because of, you know, all of the, the virtues of and the vices of martial arts that are displayed and, mm-hmm. and good, you know, beating evil at the end of the movie. Love the movie. I still watch it. I love it. And I, I preach uh, every parent to go rent that movie for that, you know, for their child or, or find it on Netflix or something like that. But it's just, uh, it's, it's just an awesome movie with, it's entertaining and has, you know, great messages. That's the same answer as me. Cause that's, I've told the story to many of my guests. That's the reason I got involved in martial arts. I was 10 years old when that came out in 1984 and I walked out of the movie theater and a local instructor was standing out front handing out free passes for a month of Tung Sudo. And that's, yeah, that's what got right. me started. <laughs> so it's I, I owe it. And I still watch it at least once a year. And you, you mentioned Ernie Ray's Jr. The show Sidekicks is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I, lo- I, I wish they'd... I used to watch it every week. Yeah, I wish... It, yeah. It, it's owned by Disney. I wish they'd put it on Disney+. Plus. I'd love to rewatch it. I mean, it's it's on YouTube, but it's like grainy videos and stuff. And, yeah. Uh-huh. And not cool. But <laughs> And I have to ask, since you're a Karate Kid fan, have you, have you gotten into Cobra Kai at all? I, I've watched every show. Yeah? I've binge-watched every show, every season, the night that it comes out. So nice. as... Uh, you know, as I, I guess most people describe it as cheesy. Yes. Uh, but I, I loved it. In a I good way. <laughs> cheesy in yeah. a good way. It's the nostalgia. Way, is so cool. In a good way. And it, you know, relieves my mind from, 
the stresses of, of work that I have every day in my law practice. I know one of my guests said she was watching the, the last season and when her husband walked in the one episode where they're fighting in the school and he's like, what are you watching? Right. And she said, it's a security camera from our school. He's like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's a good answer. <laughs> Great answer. Nice. All right. Yeah. Final question, and this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie because you already answered the movie question, but it just a favorite movie fight scene. Um, it, it would have to be Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon. Nice. You know, at the end, you know, where uh, I got, I could remember every scene of that. I used to go mm-hmm. to Chinese theater when I was younger uh, almost every weekend night, but but it would be the, the final fight scene in, in Enter the Dragon. That's awesome. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah. Well, anything that we haven't touched on that you want, we still got a few minutes left. Anything you want to mention that I maybe forgot to ask about or anything you want to get out there? No, I mean, I, 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 I know I've been, you know, hard, difficult to get a hold of and, <laughs> and, and, and schedule probably. To, and I apologize for that, but, uh, but I'm, I'm really glad I, I did, you know, this interview. I'm very grateful because it, it, it back, you know, down the martial arts, um, you know, back to my martial art roots and, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I have a smile on my face right now. I haven't had a smile on my face, you know, for, for 30 years <laughs> practicing law. And, uh, and as I said, you know, while, you know, practicing law may be, you know, more financially rewarding than being a martial arts instructor, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would, I would trade, I would trade in a heartbeat because, because martial arts has always been my passion and, uh, and, and I miss it. I really, really do. A little off topic here, but do you remember a TV show? And I think it was the late nineties, early two thousands called Ed where the guy was a lawyer and moved back to his hometown and bought a bowling alley. So they called him the bowling alley lawyer. So I'm thinking maybe you open a martial arts school with a law practice in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe someday, Maybe someday I'll do that, but I'll, I'll probably get sued and I'll have to defend myself. But, <laughs> there you go. There you, know, you go. From, you know, from, from either the front side or from the back side, you know, from the law side or, <laughs> or the, uh, the karate side. Yeah. But um, so that's uh, that's how much I, I, I really love the martial arts and all the people that I've met. Nice. Um, you know, throughout my years. Well, I hope you get to start teaching again someday. I really do. It'd be, it'd be, I, I, I heard so much good things about you from people who trained with you. And that's why I really wanted to get you on the show. And I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do this because I've, I've enjoyed well, your stories. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, and hopefully I look you know, forward to meeting you in person. Definitely. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.